Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. It's just return of you know right, right. what used to happen 200 years ago with vast Well, I see that this is going to be the pod theme. Well, they bet they bet money be... on cricket. Oh God, yeah. Because they... you bet throughout the game. I don't know what they. I think they bet on the, the outcome. Whereas now, well, now you can bet on all. The, 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 the problem with cricket, the reason cricket is so easily fiddleable, is that you can introduce loads of incidents into cricket that don't affect the score. Like what? Numbers of no balls. You know, oh, you right. can do things deliberately. Well, well, can't you extend you, the game you and then run out of time. You could easily Yeah, it's away. okay. So I will, bet, I will bet you that in the fourth over... There There'll will be, be two wides. No, no well, if I'm bowling and you give me a £1,000, you're going to have two wides, mate. That's you're going to have three. Precisely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, I'm not that's the kind of thing that's going to happen. You know. that's, why, that's why it's attracting so much... Here's nothing sacred. I think what he's saying is not only nothing sacred, it's all been done before. It's all been done before. A large circle has come round. Here we are. I was going to say back in the 50s, and David is saying in the, the 1900s. 1750s, yeah. The turn of the century. So here we are, it's the word podcast. <laughs> of course uh, it is. We're back in the fashion old cupboard. talking about cricket. <laughs> <laughs> back in the fashion cupboard. Answer your names. Fraser Lurie. Fraser Lurie. Mark Allen. Mark Allen. Andy Murray. Andy Murray, not the cricketer or not, the tennis not player. Not the tennis player. Uh, friend of the magazine. Uh, got a piece of the current Most issue of the magazine. Piece in our current issue. Which That's we're difficult. Gonna, we're going to talk about. It's a delight to have you all here. What do you think of the new uh, the new studio? The new rack. <laughs> it's lovely. It's, I look forward to picking out my costume later. Yeah. When we go to the video. Are we having a video podcast? So we are in the uh, listeners. We are in the, uh, the 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 mix mag. Our, our brother magazine, sister magazine, uh, dance magazine. Uh, their fashion cupboard, which and, and Andy like is in fact sitting on is about <laughs> three feet away from a, a huge one piece zip up tiger suit. It's a tiger suit. Elton John's cast. Elton John's. <laughs> Yes, the kind of take a, a flock of wallpaper, what, flock? Uh, a luminous I mean, pair of Doc Martens. They are. To take a picture WTF. of Andy. WTF. There's a live picture being taken of Andy with a, yeah, a, 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 a win these them. shoes. That's right. Uh, well, be on the podcast. Do us a favour. <laughs> so, a talk of conversation just came up in the office before we uh, came in here, and I want to quickly get your response. Does anybody sing in the shower? It's a favourite cliche. People talk about what do you sing in the shower? Mark Ellen, do you sing in the shower? Neil Hannon wrote a song in the shower, didn't he? Did he? Called um, How Long Can You Stand on One Leg, is it called? Do you know the song? Oh, Divine Comedy song? No, no, How I'm long afraid I'm not familiar leg? with her. He was in a shower, and in fact, I saw him play this song last night at the Tabernacle in W11. And he said, he announced that he'd played the song and there were some shrieks in the audience. And he said, yes, I was naked and wet. Which is, there were even more shrieks. <laughs> so it's a but song he was standing on his leg, naked, and he thought he would write a song based on that notion of what it felt like to stand um, on one leg in a shower. So well, what, what's the question? Do, do I sing, you sing, sing Yes, I do. I, I think sing. Well, there is a song. Do you really? I sing, yeah, I sing all sorts. I sing in the, in the bath. I, do. I like the acoustics, but I play the guitar in our bathroom. It has fantastic Not uh, very acoustics. good for the guitar. Not, not no, really never, really never, really never be any spewing. steam. No, 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 that's right. It has good acoustics. I'm sure Andy would always a fellow acoustic guitar enthusiast. Well, I've got something for you. I think it's producing acoustic Mark, guitar. here's a present for you. It's some David Gilmore guitar strings. Oh, good Lord. Everybody's got a present. I'm going to have to take 
fantastic. Oh, well, in that case, you need the matching set. That's the David Fender Gilmore. Stratocaster set, and this that is, is the absolute Gibson Les Paul set. Oh, that up. There we go. Okay. As used by David Gilmore, then put uh, back they, in the pack? Or they absolutely are, are as used by him. Uh, not a very interesting story, but I'll tell you anyway, go which on, is he doesn't need the money. But we wanted the publicity for our Live in Gdansk album, so I got the spec of what he actually plays. And it's not a set you can buy, girls, boys. Previously, it wasn't a set you could buy in the shops, not available in any shop. Called up GHS Strings, talked to me, and they said, fine. And they made the set that if you want to sound like David Gilmore, as a lot of people do, that those are the actual strings that he's plays bundled for the first time. I put these on, like and it was a big play with all the solos from Echo. Uh, like well, it's 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 certainly. Immaculately. <laughs> um, Super. So they well, were a big success. About that. That's Until great. such time, as a year later, and we discovered that they, they were voted product of the year at some uh, geeky musicians' fair six months ago. And then I called up GHS and said, well, could we now be on a royalty, please? Because, you know, it was just, you did us a favour, we did you a favour, big success. Total silence. Yes, I love that yeah. geeky musicians' fairs. If there's nothing at all geeky about me going, great, some Dave Gilmore strings. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that light action. Back to the question Do you sing in the shower anymore? Well, I sing along because I have the radio on okay. in the shower and the radio on the bath. So, whatever, Sam and I might be giving voice to, you know, if it happened to be a little feet or a, you know, a feeling number, I might be singing the, the harmony or, That's or similar. Uh, Fraser Laurie, do you sing in the shower? I don't. No, I dance in my front room, but I don't sing in the shower. You dance in your front room? Yeah. To what? Mm. What do you dance to? To whatever I happen to be playing. Is that a kind of Tom Cruise risky business? Give me an example of a business. song that you've played recently that, that, that caused you to dance. It's pretty much everything. Really? Oh, yeah. What, food loose? Do you do a Kevin Bacon? Have you used in the news? Yeah. It's all a bit uh, kind of embarrassing dad dancing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what you want. That's, that's the one uh, get a use of the joke that we were using last week about beer can. That we did <laughs> which which movie star has currently got a country rock record out with his uh, brother? It's Kevin. Kevin Beerkan. It is. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> actually, a very good record. Yeah, it's a very strange word. Is article about it in the in Word? Yes. Yeah, with a headline that I once used, Dave. I think in Smash Hits. Go on. The headline's about the group Pig Bag. You know, there's a brilliant bit in this article of Kevin Bacon's interview. And he said, one of his albums has got some terrible sort of Bacon-related pun right, in the right. title. And the guy interviewing him says, why have you got this awful? He said, because every time anyone writes about us, they always have these absolutely loathsome, agonising, predictable Bacon-related puns. And I, I run this thing with a straight face, and the, and the headline for our thing is, From Rasher with Love. <laughs> yeah, it's all about, all about the fond acoustic record. <laughs> and I couldn't resist it. Right. So there we go. So I was just saying before you joined the podcast, Mark, that persons who work in the media have a certain amount of protection from criticism because basically the people who might be upset by what they write don't want to upset them. Oh, right. Whereas persons such as myself not in the media are a little bit more exposed. Yes, so Andy, probably heard. Kevin Bacon has, has never recovered from that, but you don't know because he, he's, his minders have got, leave it, leave it, leave it, Kevin. <laughs> it's not worth it. Yeah, Kevin's, Kevin's getting up every day. Going, well, I wonder if that word piece is out yet. <laughs> I don't, no, no, it's, I don't think it's a monthly. It's, it's a bi monthly. So you must have met, both of you, are you not uh, NME alumni? Uh, yes, yes, we are. And uh, you must have met the equivalent of the Tony Iommi moment. Are you Alan Jones? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Phil Lyder. Well, it's the Alan Jones moment, isn't it? Yes, every Alan Jones, the, now the editor of Uncut, fantastic fellow. And uh, about every 20 minutes, somebody, Phil Lyder, would go up and slap him in one. one. <laughs> but Mike Nichols, Mike Nichols, the, the one who was, he, Mike Nichols was famously decked by, by Jake Riviera because he. He, as a person, I have to say, Mike, I've been decked by this, this does fit into my story about <laughs> it does. Like when I was a press us for, for the benefit of younger listeners. Well, my Jake Riviera's. Oh well, he is the. I suppose he, he he's now. I think he's now semi-retired, but he started Demon Records before Friday that. Night. He was the co-founder of Stiff Records with Dave Robinson. And he famously sp- broke away from Stiff. Dr. Feelgood Roadie, yes? Uh, originally, and, yeah. and manager previously of Chili Willie and the Red Hot right, Pepsi. Good group. And then having st- co-started Stiff, he then split away to form Radar Records and managed uh, Jake uh, Elvis for a long time, Elvis Costello and Nick Lowe. So that's how he's most known as being the abrasive, very witty, aggressive, sloganeering, uh, in-your-face Small and aggressive, I think it's fair to say. Well, he was always fine with me, I have to say. He knows where you live, though. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he knows where you park your car. All right, do you want some? Really do you want to get involved? Um, I don't think so. Um, Mike Nichols was a, a sort of a ferrety person. I don't think that's doing him a disservice. <laughs> because he was one of these journalists who wanted to upset people and famously upset Alison Moyet by talking about uh, what he was asked not to talk about with the minute he was in the room with her. So it just felt What was his, he asked not to talk well, about? Well, I, I don't want to say because it would okay. be unfair to her to bring it up again. But... but um, oh. 
Oh, I know. The, <laughs> but, and she's a very nice person, I must say, so that's why it would be unfair. Um, so I will say it. But just, just whisper no, and I'll no, say it. No, no, don't say it. <laughs> <that. laughs> is it glandular query, isn't it? Oh, yeah, or is that the meatloaf? Oh, it might be Well, yeah, same, same thing. The point is that Mike Nichols <laughs> is the journalist who would say it, just for the point of being annoying. And had said something similar to and about Elvis Costello. And Jake took exception to it. And Jake, as an ex-boxer, boxer, felt oh that God. he could reasonably remonstrate physically with Mike Nichols and did. Knocked him out at, at uh, Dingwall's. Oh, those were the yeah, days. Happy days. Yeah. Now it'd be lawsuits. I miss counter lawsuits, wouldn't it? Yes, I miss those days. For years. So anyway, uh, we've just got to quickly recap on the media coverage of the of the prolonged election that we've had, which didn't take just a day. It took the best part of a week, and so exposed us to huge numbers of, of faces and stories and messages and all kinds of things. And I just wonder what what's everybody's favourite? Uh, any favourite cliches? Any favourite moments from the election coverage over the last week? Oh, Oh God! Well, I like the. I, t- I came in this morning with a copy of today's Times uh, to show the uh, the word office. It has a fantastic cartoon in it because uh, my wife and I were watching last night. Just saying, this looks like a it's like, a, like, a, like an Eton College debating society right. riff that happens to be acted out by two people who bizarrely have been called Prime Minister and Deputy yeah, Prime yes. Minister. You know, and the cartoon is of uh, a sort of Eton um, prefect's room with a crumpet toasting on fire <laughs> and a golf club and a tennis racket behind him. It's so brilliantly done with a cricket bat, you know. And he's saying it's Cameron, and he's saying to his fag, presumably, which I suppose is the kind of public school uh, version of a bitch. He's saying uh, well, to Clegg... Uh, in the common parlance, yeah, he's absolutely. Saying, he's saying to Clegg, uh, to polish these, will you, Cleggers? He's handing him his shoes, he says, and then see if you can halve the deficit before prep. <laughs> <laughs> that was a really good, really good cartoon. Well, and, uh, go on. Well, I was going to say, similar cartoon in The Independent, which oh, I right, have here, yeah. is... Um, <laughs> Cameron, as a miner, holding his nose, going down a long mine shaft with some noxious gases coming towards him, and the Lib Dem Clegg esque canary, canary. In the cage in front of him as he holds his you nose. See, don't you think one of the things that happens like, when like you get a, a change of government like this, you can hear the cheers coming from the cartoonist lobby. Oh, yeah. They're just thinking, Yahoo's trying exactly. to ring jokes out of whoever was the last one. And suddenly, yeah, suddenly two of them come along. Last <laughs> great open green field in front of me, you know, and faces <laughs> galloping towards oh, me, just, oh, just queuing up to be depicted, you know, by my pen. And but the headline you know, writers, too. Sorry? You know, the headline well, writers, they've just about oh, squeezed yes. the most, you know, scrambled Clegg and yeah. brown toast, but Cameron's no, always the odd you couple. Know, the best one there was the best. It was actually so terrible. Which is Dave New World. Uh, Picture of David Cameron. That's the level. That's what we've got. Five. But uh, for me, there was. (laughs) I mean, I don't know whether you agree that we got the election that we deserved or the result that we deserved. But for me, the telling moment, if you're asking about moments, was the worm the very aptly named worm, in terms of the instant. It's, everything's going to be instant. It's got to be now. What do you, have your say. Same old awful, yeah, yeah. shallow 24-7 news service. And for once, what was good about the, the Clegg mania, as we saw, is that, is that you've got your two parties, you know, standing up against each other, and suddenly new bloke comes along, red light goes on, and he says, hang on a minute, I, you know, what are we actually talking about here? Two other blokes take a step back. And he says, well, you were talking about... You know, real things, and one of those real things is, now it may not have been him that said it, but in effect he provoked it, is cutting to public services. At which point, real-life worm descends to the level of a BP oil rig somewhere in the Gulf. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and it instantly fed Belgium back through, through by party minders, and, and it, people instantly realised, oh, don't mention the cuts. Oh, you and they were never mentioned yeah, There was yeah. a huge hole in the middle of the whole election it, debate. Absolutely. There would be the elephant in the room, you know, nobody remarked upon it. Yes, and nobody ever At did. any point, they just walked around the elephant. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But, but anyway, the other, the other the, story, I was going to say, the oh. other point would be with the, the, that Clegg mania comes up and suddenly he's very popular who's this bloke what's he got to say oh he's a fresh face instantly right-wing press then start smearing him and call him a nazi sympathizer etc so the, the the plus point for the electorate is at least there was no mention of cuts but comment on the, the fact there was no mention of cuts so they could have made something of <laughs> it and didn't and there was also right-wing smearing, which had no effect at all. So, therefore, at least it was brought up so that people could understand, this is really what the press do. And the end result was exactly the same as if there'd been any no coverage at all. But it's not as if there wasn't... Uh, some of those uh, issues were open to be covered. And to some degree, they were covered. But the thing but that fascinated so me through, throughout the whole thing was, uh, you know, I was at home a few days, working at home, and I had TV on the, in the background, BBC News 24, Sky News or whatever. 
And, and, and these things, 24-7 news, just imposes its own rhythm on, on the events. You can almost hear 24-7 news drumming its fingers when nothing's happened yeah, for two minutes. Absolutely. And, and they had gone and, and set up studios and College Green opposite you know, Parliament, Adam Bolton, so the Cabinet Office, somebody out of Downing Street. And basically... They were, they were wanting to have a visual representation of what was going on. And so, you, so people start providing visuals. You know, William Hague and Posse will cross Whitehall from Portcullis House. Then they'll go back. Somebody will come out of Downing down Street. And this endless train of politicians and former politicians queuing up on College Green, you know, to throw their particular bit in. And it, it, it struck me as it was like it's a political knockout or something. You know, well, it was completely so, yes. a TV show from start to finish. And TV, you know, TV gets an erection when that kind of thing goes on. You know, cause completely. It, it just, TV gets so excited. Cited. And you thought, whatever your position is on this, these are momentous events which are best dealt with with a cool head. And probably a certain over amount of time. And, and a, a certain amount, amount of, time. of distance, you wouldn't, you wouldn't organise. You, you wouldn't organise the merger of two medium-sized commercial companies in as much of a hurry as, no. as this and, is and, and as much of a spotlight as well. And but you're, you're, do you remember all this about fuss about, about it's taken two days so far and they haven't oh, fixed yes, it? Yes, yes. And a couple of people go, well, in the continent it takes a month. Yes. And in Belgium, yes. two yes. months. Yes. So but shut up. your point about, about, about this lack of distance was an absolutely wonderful moment. I've completely forgotten her name. Was it Mrs. Duffy? Who was the it one? It was Duffy. Gillian Duffy. Gillian Duffy. Bigot well, Gate. Gillian Duffy. <laughs> <laughs> already Bigot Gate. It was an absolutely incredible moment because I watched that. Because this is live television. So, you know, she's been buttonholed by Sky and various other yeah. um, channels in fact and uh, the more people are getting involved in this frenzy as it starts to develop you know and at one point she's sitting there and they're trying to get her reactions to how she feels when she's been told what the prime minister has said about her and she's uh, devastated and uh, her mobile telephone goes off and she said i've got to take this call and they go how can you take this call you're on television you know but then again they completely imposed themselves on her oh, so, yes, and then the guy says to her said mrs duffy is that somebody telling you that you're on television well no it wasn't it was uh, it was somebody going saying, can you can get, get the pan of milk and where she just been but it's self-important idea that inside yeah. that little bubble you think that anything that matters is but the bubble did you know? see adam bolton almost coming to that should be post-election moment oh that's if anybody Brilliant. hasn't seen that experience, I know both these people actually. I'm fond of them both actually. Yes, I've, I, I, one of them is married to an old friend of mine. So there we Do are. Do I have to guess yeah. which one? No, you can. No, 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 uh, that's Bolton, in fact. All <laughs> oh, right, right. Yeah, right. but they really, really fell out, and their, oh, yes. their love for each other is is, is, is very little, and, and it's genuinely very little, and it was obvious, you know. Uh, it certainly was, but so, very well expressed. Happened. Tell them the punchline at the end. Well, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember that I was enjoying the, the context so much. It was simply that, that uh, Alistair Campbell was, was, as usual, putting a very good gloss on, on what was happening at the time, and Adam Bolton was trying to pin Bolton down... Bolton is a sky, Sky's political... Uh, and and uh, Alistair simply would have none of it, but carried on talking. So Adam Bolton carries on trying to interrupt, saying, well, no, uh, you know, that's not the case. And Alistair was saying, well, what you're saying is that you'd rather... You, you wanted to see Cameron, and that you're, you're... In other words, you're completely biased, you always because have Because that was the flashpoint, don't, like don't tell me what I think. Yeah, exactly. Which is... A, what you know, you're saying is, no, I don't think that. Yes, you do. You know, <laughs> it was a cut for two pins, step across that line while I... You know, it was, it was a, why I ordered... It was a classic moment. Whoever was presenting a complete... I'm sorry, I don't think I can remember. The last line was... Take it outside. Pompous little arse. <laughs> Which is an extraordinarily straight thing to say on television. He's not little at all. No, that's, that's he's large. Yeah, that, that's literally straight but out also, of the snug bar. You notice that, that Alistair Campbell is no longer a politician, am I not correct? So he's able to say that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And sadly, the... Pre- pre- there were loads of people. And Lembodopic, of course, is no longer a problem. They were, and as yes, we saw to hilarious <laughs> effect last they week were on the telly. They were enjoying themselves hugely. Absolutely. Because they suddenly don't have any party boss to answer well, to. Let got... me up on that yeah, platform. Yeah, so, so, I'll so, tell you what back. I think. Yeah, it was for 30 seconds later was on Have I Got News. Oh, yeah, Enlarging it. Well, he's trying to. So, anyway, sorry, clichés. Clichés. Clichés of the week that I noted down a few. I don't know if you came across these. These are new ones. Smoke-free rooms. Did you catch this one? Oh, right. Deals no. will be cut in... Of course, at first they start yeah. talking about smoke-filled rooms, and then somebody points out, well, there won't be smoke-filled mm. rooms anymore, so there will be they were meeting in the smoke-free rooms. That, so that's, that was, that's that, transparency is what they're going across, is it? Well, well no, 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 it's just the idea is back room deal is no longer full of smoke. It's not full of smoke. But someone should should append that at all times by saying, and that's the fault of the last government as well. And another one that was that was used... Another one that was used all the time, as soon as anybody was faced with a question that didn't want to answer, 
answer, they would say, I'm afraid that's above my pay grade. Oh, yes. It's well, a very good, civil yes. service term. Oh, that's is. good. And, uh, you know, it's full of, full oh, of classic yes. things like that. You know, and then ancient expressions, which haven't been in common parlance for years, are suddenly reintroduced, like the harlot. You know, the, the, uh, somebody was referring to the, social, the Liberal Democrats as well as being like the harlot. Oh, uh, and you yeah, think of this ancient Lee, kind of biblical yeah. term Lee suddenly taken from but the, the new cliche, of course, have you, have you noticed, I'm sure you have, is, is the interest, the best interests of the nation. Oh, that's anyway. Not in the best interest of the party, the best interest of the member speaking, the best, best interest, interest of the, of the nation. Best interest of the nation. But that has replaced what was the big cliche three months ago, which I claim... Let's, I was be, the clear. First Let's be clear no, about this, followed by you know the, obfuscation. The, the, first, the first term that was used to indicate your share of the moral high ground a few months ago when the election was first talked about was... Hard-working families. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. We'll do what we can for hard-working families. Yes. And that's a brilliant weasel phrase, because it's meant to make you think, that's me. Uh, oh, yes. It's not uh, those idle buggers do, down yeah, the corner, yeah, yeah. whoever yeah, the idle buggers are, exactly. whether, whether they're bankers me. or yeah, welfare yeah, exactly. scroungers. They're not hard-working. They're not hard-working. And all the parties were using that. They're scrambling towards hard-working families, but now it's the interest of the nation. Anyway, the enough. The most extraordinary about social engineering, emotional engineering was the, was the Brown speech, the end of Brown speech. He talks about her. This was the number two job, of course, in his life, being the Prime Minister. Number one job, looking after the kids. You know, it's the most oh, extraordinary way of kind of expressing that I'm going to be spending more time with my wife Family. Well, I, I'm allowed to say this, you know, because we're allowed to say this because we're fathers. You know, yeah. I think I think the, the the habit of modern men of boasting about how wonderful a father he is is nauseating. But what you know, about more yeah, annoyances? No, if, if you guys publish the worst-selling um, magazine in the history of magazines and only put an editorial that said, and by the way. I, I was reflecting on my child the other day. Your circulation would double because you're only on any telly show. You've only ever got to say, and I'm the father of two yes. lovely children, and you get a round of applause. Yeah, everybody turns <laughs> up and waves their children at the, the camera any time of stress. As anyway, enough amazing. on the election. It's been yep. a busy week. Well, you started it. Yes, yes, okay. yes. That's what they yes. all said as well. Hey, you invaded yeah. Poland. <laughs> um, <laughs> The other big event. You have a mandate, Dave, to tell us some other issues. The yeah, other yeah. event of the week was uh, we went to the Sony Radio Awards. We did. Mark, and did you enjoy some? I had a terrific time. And, and uh, anything of uh, note that you, you want to report? Oh, there were lots of things in there. Let me have a think. Um, <laughs> yes, there were millions. There was. Uh, there were some great exchanges. With, oh, well, actually, I'll tell you what was interesting about that. This was hosted by Chris Evans. Uh, very, apparently very, did a good job. Very Brilliant good. job. Oh, really? my goodness. Brilliant what a, what job. I've never seen anybody do that. Oh, very good. Really extraordinary. And, you know, you need a lot of pace, and need a lot of uh, drive, and need a lot of wit and flair, because it's 37 awards. It can go on forever. You've got a referee. All for the know. same thing. And everybody's allowed to make a speech. And, of course, you know, local radio, Solent Radio, whatever, won a gold medal, all come down to making a day of it. They've got something to say, you know. Yeah. And, and, but the, 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 one of the many, many, complex um, undercurrents of the evening was the fact that Chris Evans, of course, presents a breakfast show, one who's interesting, whose rage, our figures, went up, I noticed this morning. Yeah, I'll buy uh, More I'll than buy uh, they were when um, Terry Wong was there. Of course, they're, they're arguing that's because he, they've increased the length of the programme from two to two and a half hours. Yeah, 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 I mean, so, you know, there's all manner <laughs> yeah, of spin coming Saving on. the well, election again. I'm all my friends in, in radio, you know, and there are many who listen to this, there are lies, damn lies, and rage, our figures. I've I never understood. Oh, no, you understand. Know, they, can all ma- they can make them mean anything yeah. they want to, can't but, they, but the big I issue... Think they can. <laughs> Yeah. I talking to someone who used to work in radio. Yes, absolutely. They can did. make them mean yeah. anything. So, but but, so but the big issue is that there are, of course, me. you know, there's radio and then there's the breakfast show. And these are two totally separate things, in my view. The breakfast show is, as anybody listening would know, is, is all that is important, really, for any station, because you have to build, at breakfast, the biggest possible figure you can, which will then inevitably decline. But it's that spike from where you start, which is the most important thing. That's the tent pole that gets the and, height and of you your And you feel canvas. that it's a statement of intent as well, that it also has to encompass the broad... Tent, the, the, oh, the brand, the I suppose they, they would say. Completely, yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's it's just a different animal from everything else. It's it's got to get people out of bed and got, get children dressed and get people to school and get people to work. And it's it's there for you know it's serve a purpose. And so Evans is presenting awards to his, I suppose you'd have to say, rival breakfast show presenters. One of them is Christian O'Connell, one of them Johnny is Johnny Vaughan, Capital Radio. Christian O'Connell, I think, doesn't have his absolute radio, is it? Yeah, uh, yes. Yep. And, the th- and the third one, whose name I've completely forgotten, there's another one, Dave. Who the hell was that? There was a third uh, was breakfast show. Was 
Chris uh, Moyles. Who ever got there. the prize? Three for the was it? Mm, I can't remember, but <clears throat> it was the, the tension when these guys <laughs> when these got on the stage, on stage was absolutely. It was like there was one incredible, I guess there was one incredible, <laughs> incredible exchange. This is pre, where, pre uh, the, Johnny the Ball, award being announced. Yeah, they just yeah, they, they just they come could, up. You had together. to stand there and, and be humiliated. Oh, when there goes my yeah, yeah, Dave's Sorry, first got <laughs> Can we comment on Dave's ringtone? Yeah, that's right. What, what's that? It sounds what's like the third phone? man, is it? What's, that, what's, your, what's the sound of that it's thing? Third man. It's the third oh, man. Sorry. Fraser's phone. I might have to ring it a minute so the listeners can hear it. When it, when it, when it goes off, it plays a, a, a tune to a, a children's programme. Was it a magazine? It's a, it's a jingle for a children's magazine. Sing the jingle, Fraser. I love horses, best of all the animals. I love horses, they're my friends. <laughs> I see the other. I can't I wait can for Fraser to get that. I occasionally <laughs> ring Fraser myself. Just, I was you. I just want to hear the jingle. Uh, sorry, once more. Anyway, once more. All right. Two, I three, four. I love horses best of all the animals. I love horses. They're my friends. <laughs> see, <laughs> you get all this entertainment from for nothing. Thank you. Does Thanks for coming out tonight. Is, is that what? <laughs> we'll leave you with this. Like in rehearsal. Ugly room as well. I wish that. Wish, if only. Gosh. So that was. So anyway. So Christian O'Connell used to present. I gosh, I'm getting confused now. Probably the XFM radio show would it have been XFM, and they used to have a gag on this thing. I think it was XFM, where the um, listeners were encouraged to go out and spot a celebrity. If you saw a celebrity in, you know, buying some uh, uh, medical shampoo in, da- uh, in uh, Tesco's or something like that, you'd go up to them and say, would you, I've, I've nabbed you, let's ring up Christian O'Connell or whatever it was, and I think it was a charity to mention to this, and you'd get £1,000 donated to their favourite charity. You know? And you get to stage, he's prepared a line that he thinks he's going to absolutely destroy Chris Evans in front of the highest-ranking radio <laughs> audience. It's also probably live on radio as well. I think it was being broadcast, wasn't it? And he knows that there's no comeback from this. And he goes, well, thanks very much, uh, Funny you on stage with Chris. Um, had a great time in my previous job, and we said this wonderful thing where we used to get you know, listeners to ring up stories. And do you know what, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, there's only one person, one person in the history of that particular gag who refused to ring the programme, and I'm sharing a stage with him. And he, he calls me, I'm like, I'm like, a member, like Rick Mayle and the young ones, you know, so I can get out of that, you know. At which point, Chris Evans, either he predicted this was coming, or he's a very, very fast thinker, he said... Um, I think it would have been a better idea, he said, if, if you if you got um, uh, was it celebrities to, to to go and see if you can find some of your listeners, <laughs> which, is, which, is just, which was just I, I can't remember how he got out of it, but he didn't really because that is absolutely game set. Oh, match, absolutely, isn't it? you know, it's so good. He was he was brilliant all the way through, and he wasn't snide really. I mean, he got his own back occasionally where people had a go at him, but he, he did it in a good spirit. Tremendous moments through. of sexual frisson, frisson. Oh, remember those? Oh, right, it was a lovely one I'm where, sorry? where where um, uh, Chris has been flirting vigorously with every uh, good-looking woman who's been up on stage, which was a very large number, actually. Yes, that's right. Who, who are all these good-looking broadcasters? Oh, well, we had... Yeah, not on, 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 enough, on the radio. We had Selena Scott, we had Anna Ford. I mean, these, oh, are, right, these are big okay. stars for me. Kirsty you know, Young. Kirsty Young. And Kirsty Young gets up and... Uh, Connie Hook. Connie Hook. And he says to... She says to um, Chris Evans... Um, uh, Chris, um, that was exciting. Anna Ford kissed you. And Chris Evans says, "I know." He goes completely to pieces, doesn't he? You know, he says, I, I, "I used to, I used to video the news when she was on," and she goes, "Too much information." Uh, yes. And and then there's a little pause. She said, "So did I." Oh, I felt yeah. I felt the temperature go up, you know, yeah, by yeah. several degrees. I got to be honest. With you. The word, a magazine, a website, a podcast, a way of life. So Sunday radio was it? Fraser, you went to you went to see uh, Joanna Newsom. We'll see Joanna Newsom on Tuesday. Oh, did you? How was that? Uh, incredible and very, very good. I mean, apart from being uh, incredibly well-talented, she uh, did something with the audience I've never seen before, which was, for the entire duration of the, the gig, it was absolute silence. It felt like everyone was holding their breath. Is this because her, her harp wasn't amplified? Was it not plugged no, in? No, no, no. It, it was all wired up. And was, she is a harpist. She I'm, is a harpist, yeah. I've never, I've never seen a reaction How like does it. she command that kind of uh, respect? I don't know. I mean, she's obviously loved by an audience. That's really she is. They're very loyal followers. I, I stood behind her last week because she was on later with Jules Holland. Yeah. And of course they do two shows, so I saw her twice. And um, does she sport dresses of a gingham type? She does, yes. Yeah. She's an old hippie. I think. So, that, or young so hippie. that wasn't out of character. For no, not at all. Tell in the, the old Czech dress. And she kind of is a little bit twee when she uh, she kind of uh, jogs across the stage and waves briskly at everyone. There's a place for excited. it. I mean, there is absolutely. There's a, yeah. there's a, a twee I can niche. Do twee. <laughs> yeah, in the land <laughs> of the twee. <laughs> yes, it's good. And uh, and she, so she's obviously at a peak. And on Monday I saw Glenn Campbell, who isn't. <laughs> he's, uh, 
<laughs> to be fair, Glenn has got he's, a few more miles on the clock. He has. He? How old's Glenn? He's, he's in his seventies. Late seventies, I think. Late seventies. Oh, Are we saying Glenn Campbell is nearly eighty? I th- yes, I think maybe, is, maybe is he really? he's getting on a bit. He's at least seventy-four. He's saying he's past his prime. He's a little bit. No, no, I'm sorry, I've got to take issue with that phrase. Only from a year ago, because I went to see him for a Radio 2 radio show he did. And he opened the show, this is him with his guitar and his son on guitar and rock band and everything, plus the BBC concert orchestra. And the very first song was Wichita Lineman, or as my sister calls it, Wichita Cowboy. Um, and he was unbelievable. It's a bit like um, Brian Wilson coming on and doing, you know, good vibrations, and then right at the beginning, starting from there. Oh, I mean, when when he's good, he's very, very good. But when he's bad, but was he a little he's, bit? He's completely discombobulated. Oh, he right. doesn't know where he is. Oh. There was a great instance where he went off for a few songs to allow his two daughters to do to take the spotlight and do a few songs of their own. And at one point, he wanders back on. And the younger daughter, Ashley, you know, kind of teenage fashion, says, Dad, what are you doing here? Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> and he wandered off again. It was that's lovely. brilliant. Well, it seems like an old elderly man who, you know, he goes into rooms and not sure, quite sure why he went there. I think so, yeah. It's probably in search of the dressing room to yeah. get back on stage. There was also a lovely moment near the end where he wanted to thank the crowd. And he'd, he'd put down his microphone and picked up a water bottle and didn't seem to notice that he had. So thank you very much. Into, into the, water, the, water, into the water, bottle. water bottle. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Oh. But le- in his, his, his defence, yeah. that record he put out a year ago. It's very good. Very good. Very good. Very good. Really good. Better record. version of Times Like These than the original. Yeah. I, I thought it was a remarkable record. Great record. Oh, but so he was disappointed. No, no, no he, days, he was, he was I mean, 75% how... good and 25% uh, all over the place. <laughs> right. <laughs> Have you been to any gigs, Andy? You've been to loads, I, you? Well, no, not really. I feel very badly compared to you guys. You're out every week. I've <laughs> s- I saw Jeff Beck with uh, Sharon Core guesting opening for Eric Clapton, That was it, but that was February. Two weeks ago, I saw Bad Company at Wembley. Right. You know, what's a rock about that? Bad and company. Ian Hunter at the Barbican. So, go on, now, Bad Company. I used to love. What is Bad Company nowadays? Go on, run really? me down the line. Mick Ralph's. Uh, original lineup, obviously, was Mick Ralph's ex Mott the Hoople on guitar. Boz Burrell. Boz ex King's Interest on bass. He's no longer with the lineup, at least wasn't on the stage, but now I'm sure he's not with them. Uh, Simon Kirk from Free on Drums, still with them. Right. Paul Rogers, best voiced in rock, best t shirt in rock. Hey, Mr. Mm. Tangerine Man. Best grunt in rock. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just. So, he's still with them. So with them. And extra guitarist Howard Lees, who is not the. The British folk musician Howard Lees, but the California ex heart musician Howard Lees. So five piece with the extra guitar. They were fantastically good. Well, for the, I was thinking about this on the way. If I, since I have to fess up to what I've seen, and I knew you would say, "Well, were they any good and why?" For the same reason that ACDC are still fantastically good, nobody else does it. If you just now in the seventies, which is probably what a lot we may or may not talk about. Groups like Bad Company of hard-working, hard-working families, hard-working <laughs> rock stars who just did meat and potatoes rock, ten a penny. Nowadays, none of them. None of them that can just go, if you want chip it away at the cold face, do the bad company. Animals twice. Later on, Dave, you've got to get him to repeat that. That was fantastic. I tell you, you're a bass player, aren't you? Yes. And you're not a drummer. No, no. If you are a drummer... It's, it's a side thing about drumming. You're only as good as your drummer. So, well, that's in the, in the current mag that yeah, I had yeah. to read last night to yes. bone up for tonight. Yeah. And your long, excellent feature, by the magazine, if <laughs> you haven't already, <laughs> excellent live feature about you two showing and, and man who invented the modern PA. It's absolutely true. You're only good as your drummer. And Simon Kirk, blimey, you, you know, any of us rotten players and David, non-musician, we would sound fantastic if you had Simon Kirk going, Ooh, Yeah, he's ah, terrific. Ooh, bah, ah. Is that it's true? Brilliant. Yeah, he's oh, he's swinging. Oh, it's it's brilliant. Brilliant. He's if really the Love Trousers had Simon Kirk. They were, yeah, they they were, they they were, they were they no would. disrespect they to uh, 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 Sticks Leslie. No. Uh, <laughs> or, or Sturdy Anchorman. <laughs> <but> <laughs> Sticks would be mortified. But if he had I think we probably would. You did a feature. Is it in this? It wasn't in the last mag about creating the, the magical moments of music. Oh yeah, that was two issues ago. Two issues ago. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, it's absolutely true. You get in the studio now. I can tell you this, listeners, because I have a record out. Um, that you get in the studio and you, you, you you've and written the song, oh, yeah. demoed the song, done whatever. You played it endlessly live, whatever. Red light goes on, and something else happens. 
not necessarily for the better, as St. James <laughs> might say. Um, but, and I could go into detail about our latest waxing, but I won't. But the fact is, it is actually a moment of magic. And, and if you want to have, as per our previous podcast, an anti-digital rant, I could give you one of those. Because the thing about Pro Tools is that it's not tape running with musicians playing. And you tend to do, when, you, when you're Todd Rundgren and you do endless overdubs, which I personally like, it's not the same as Utopia for musicians playing live in a studio, no, playing no. with each other. Yeah. There is a fifth member of them which comes back to Beatles. We've talked endlessly about the Beatles and how great they were. Three of them isn't the Beatles. Four of them is five, because it's bigger than the sum of the parts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Discuss. Yeah. Anyway, which brings us back to Simon Kirk. There is a, if, if your drummer's on it, you're on it. You, you, you do things rhythmically that you wouldn't otherwise do and it's not about playing on the beat behind the beat well i will tell you this my combo um sadly the drummer is no longer with us and uh, died a couple of years ago and a lovely and his combo is called the stiff all stars stiff all stars named after stiff records and we formed as the house band and and uh, got a record deal made records and have recently finished finished our album after 30 years anyway in our, our most long-standing combo was me on vocal and guitars, Nigel Dick, video director on bass and co-songwriting and vocals, and our drummer Hugh Atwell on drums. And we wanted to expand the group, and also working at CBS Records at the time, because I moved from Stiff to CBS, which is where I met Hugh, was a person called Nicky Graham, who had been in a band with Hugh called The End, who had been produced by Bill Wyman. They were very big in Spain, where they were known as, yes, Lost The End. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I said, well, would Nicky like to join the band? Because I'd, I'd invited Hugh to join the band, no audition. So I just, you're a drummer, you're in. And, um, and, and he said, well, yes, I mean, Nicky's my best friend. But the trouble is I had to leave the end because, you know, of musical differences. And I said, well, like what? And he said, and he was a very dry, amusing character, Hugh. He said, we had a fundamental disagreement about where the beat was. I think a lot of bands have had that conversation. Uh, exactly. But, uh, but the point of the story being that the, the beat is where the drummer says it is. It's not where you say it is. The drummer says... Where, and yes. it, Al Jackson, for instance, plays... The snare is slightly behind the beat, but the bass drum is on the beat. So it's... So the drummer defines the group. The drummer, defi the drummer defines the group. And you've yeah, got Thomas, to play with him or against Pete him. Thomas of the Attractions was known as the buzzard of the beat, wasn't he? Absolutely. It was the owl of art and the buzzard of the beat and the king of kitsch, or it was. So the way I remember about Bad Company was so that I can remember, I can actually remember now when that record came out, sitting around, you know, with a whole of people that were yeah, strong stuff, you know, listening to the album, you know, and discovering that the Bad Company was the name of the band and the name of the album, and there was a song on it called Bad Company. Absolutely. Which we thought was pretty cosmic, actually, at the time. <laughs> Has it ever been done since? <laughs> Probably not. So, so, so <laughs> no, you know, oh, that seemed brilliant when you had three of these. <laughs> <laughs> So you, 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 <laughs> your contention is having a Mark nobody, Ellen moment. <laughs> <laughs> your contention is that nobody yeah, is making that sound anymore, which is after the reason that bad company. Yes, sound that's right. my contention. So that's the same. So if, if humble pie, number you know, one and course, humble one. pie, you know, if they Steve formed Marriott's, now with well, twenty-year-old musicians, yeah. Actually, if I can get another plug, I mean, it is a shameless plug um, for a group managed by One Fifteen, the 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 company to whom I I consult. They're a group called Scoundrels formerly the Hoodoo Scoundrels, as named by Brian Eno, and they play blues rock, but they're like 20. And one reason why, if they're hugely successful, as they may be, is because nobody else is doing it. Yeah, yeah. 69, everyone was doing it. Now, 2010, nobody's doing yeah, it. Yeah, Greenfield Sight. Greenfield Sight. Could, you know, could work for them. Uh, absolutely. So yeah. that is my contention. So bad feel free to bad company you enjoyed. Anybody else you've seen? Well, Ian Hunter, who is who is now uh, seventy. God, you're keeping in a very tight uh, <laughs> demographic. Uh, well, yes, I'm and he does so. try to pretend. Yeah, I'm afraid so. How was that? the Edgar Broughton band? Did you see them? <laughs> well, <laughs> I last saw them in Hyde Park. What so make I, you I imagine they're the same. <laughs> My, um, my, actually, my colleague Ben went to see Kiss at uh, Wembley last night. Oh, Christ. Who were apparently unbelievably good at entertainment. Really? The drummer, in the middle of doing a drum solo, suddenly picks up a bazooka and says into a mic, Hey, Wembley, get a load of this! And shoots his bazooka at the lighting rig, which then crashes to the stage. Now, that's entertainment. <laughs> Do you get that, Joanna Newsom? <laughs> no, nothing no, like that, that at no. all. No, good grief. So one of the things I wanted to talk about in this podcast was uh, Andy's written a feature in the current issue of, of the magazine in the first-person section where people write about their personal uh, vantage point on, on some particular 
uh, area of entertainment or musical history or whatever. And you read about your time in, in working for Stiff Records between, what, 1978 and 79? 78 to the beginning of 80, yes, right. end of 79. So, Very and, short, and, really. And so... What, what would you say? What would you say changed during that period of time? What did you witness there? Just give us a brief idea of that. Because well, they, they, it was you... the hot independent record company when it seemed that independent record companies were going to change the music business. Well, I say, and and if I may say, I was very unhappy with the the um, supposed documentary on Stiff, uh, which is called "It Ain't Stiff," uh, because I spoke to the producer Ben Wally for forty five minutes, telling him what I sincerely believe that Stiff changed modern record marketing. They invented modern record marketing. And he chose not to listen to that and, and basically portrayed the label as a sort of wacky, you know, reject weirdos who got lucky and were a bit crooked and, and did sort of stupid things and eventually were found out and went bust. And I don't see that as the story of the label at all. Uh, for me, it went from prototypical uh, indie, absolutely invented the modern indie, at that time, because even though there had been indies like Chiswick uh, and like a couple of others, uh, who were really just small record labels who couldn't exist but couldn't didn't want to compete with majors, uh, and at Stiff, as in our view, we were a viable record company that happened to be a small record company, and we felt that we were better than the majors. And uh, we're absolutely in competition with them. We weren't trying to be cool, groovy, or indie. We worked twice as hard, and we felt that we had well, better ideas. Well, it was obviously in competition with them, because you had number one records and number one Well, that's right, that's I mean, right. So new we did panties by Ian Dury. But, but we didn't huge. have this, this cloak of, of coolness. We, we, we had a cloak of, of trying to be ahead of the game and trying to sign whatever artist we could. Uh, and, and this, with, with hindsight, became, well, you made something out of a very motley crew. Uh, but it's also true, as, uh, as we were saying before, about who you can sign as a label is who you're able to sign. And there's a, there, there is going to be a book about uh, madness. Story about It's an unofficial biography of madness. And I happened to get sight of what the author had, had squeezed out of Dave Robinson. Who's the, the author? Uh, I'm glad you asked me that. Um, <laughs> Never mind his uh, yeah, I, uh, be uh, David knows him. John... Uh, I'm terribly sorry. I apologise to you, author, because I've, I've forgotten your name. Don't worry. Nice chat. Don't worry. John Reed. John right. Reed. Reed. One of the John Reeds with two E's. That's his name. Um, and one of the things Dave said was that he had to fight tooth and nail to sign Madness, um, which I didn't occur to me at the time because they were just another signing. They they kind of auditioned live at Dave Robinson's Weddington, which I mentioned in the article, which is uh, you know where we had our house band playing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Dave said, they're great, I want to sign them. But he was up against every other major. And amusingly, he said, which is true at the time and probably true now, that in those days, majors would go and see somebody 12 times before they signed them. Yes. And he saw them once, made up his mind, and then kind of bullied them and their rather stodgy lawyer into doing the deal. And they liked him, he liked them, they were, you know, they were great, and they were absolutely the right thing for the label. And the point I make in the article is that the modern world is defined by madness in as much as its hits with hit albums, with attitude, with style, with direction, with and, uh, and videos, absolutely. All made by Dave Robinson. And it was the, yeah, all made by Dave Robinson. Mm. And, and uh, it was the start of the video age, but it was also the start of the integration. And the other point I make in the article with 2020 Hindsight was, la la la, we're working away with the injury, we've done quite well with this album, no hits on it, he comes up with Hit Me The Rune Stick, number one single, sells a million singles, that's great, we're making some money, we don't put it on his next album. No problem, we'll put out the next album, it's great, that's marvellous, we got uh, amazing amazing marketing campaign with, uh, you know, 10 different wallpapers and we plaster it all over everyone. That's great. You know, we like the record. Ian's on tour. He's the hottest thing ever. It's not such a big record. Okay, then he comes up with reasons to be cheerful. Top 10 single. We don't put that on the album either. Yeah. Will now, you ever learn? Well, uh, we did subsequently learn with Madness and then it became the hit single from the hit, from the hit album, from the album of the same We describe this moment. I think it's, if you, if, you, if you look back on it, you can see it as a really pivotal moment where... As you say, Mandas perform at Dave Robinson's wedding. You performed with your, your group. And, and they, Madness, young guys from Kentish Town, Camden. Yeah, Camden, yeah, yeah. Uh, and they, they take to the stage doing the nutty walk, don't they? Oh, through yes, the through crowd. the audience. Through the and audience. I take a step well, backwards. Whoa. Which is a, obviously a huge you know, declaration oh, of, absolutely. of uh, confidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, It's like we were talking about this in last week. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Out yeah. of the box. Yeah, yeah. That they, they, they had their kind of brand, their image and everything sorted out. Oh, yes. And before they got to the record company. Well, it's also... 
also a point in, in defense of STIF, but also the many companies I've worked for since, that it never works if you try to impose what very often people rewrite history with, with oh, yeah, I told them to do that. Well, that's, yes. uh, you know, George Michael, he was, you know, he wouldn't have been nothing without me. It, it, it never works. It has to come from the artist. They, they, people can spot a lack of integrity a mile off. They, they really can. Because you also have to carry it Once off. Once the artist got is dead, to... of course, that's when you've got a problem. <laughs> well, yes. Everybody's steaming in there claiming the credit. Uh, well, that's true. Uh, and, and people do. Uh, it also... A good idea, if there happens to be an idea, is is hard to pin down. There are lots of things that happened where everyone who was in the room thinks it was their idea. Yeah, and yeah. that can also yeah. be true, that things come out of brainstorming. But generally speaking, you can't make an artist be somebody else. You can, you can probably talk them out of something that might be a bad idea. You can probably do that. But you can't do, you know, if somebody is, is, is in essence X, you can't make them into Y. And I've certainly made myself rather unpopular by saying to certain artists, look, you're X. You know, what do you mean? That's the other truism. They all think there's something else. Every artist, to a sense, because if they have genuine talent, because it's genuine and and quite often it is kind of heaven sent, they don't necessarily respect their talent, which is another David Hepworth stream about the hit single that nobody knew was a hit single until it became a hit single, which is another thing which, again, is quite hard to, to put into words, because quite often, once it's done, you can say, that's a hit. Oh, yeah, I always knew that was a hit. When Absolutely. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, Long Train Running, you listen to the demo of Long Train Running, it's no way is it a hit. Once it's recorded, it's the catchiest thing in the world. Yeah, you know? yeah. So that's an independent label in the late 70s, early 80s, learning very tough lessons and doing quite well for a while, and then eventually just going, you know, because you can't compete with the majors and their money and their district. Well, and the Dave that. Robinson take on that is, is ill-advised merger, right. I didn't say Nick and David, um, with uh, Island Records, okay. where he feels he was sold. But, but, but the independents, they kind of, they wax and they wane, they yeah. tend to. Yeah. Now, there's, there ought to be a strong case for saying in, in, in 2010, when you're no longer dealing with physical distribution and you no longer need a pressing plant and all that, they ought to be competing. There ought to be lo- loads of independent labels. But there aren't, are there? I, there are loads of labels. Uh, if you want to be on a label, there's tons of them. Lots when I was looking for a distribution deal. There are lots and lots of distributors because the nature of the market is such that there is an awful lot of choice. There's an infinity of choice. But the only way to make money out of it is excuse me, little slivers of income. Therefore, if you're the distributor, and, and in the digital age you still need a distributor, somebody who can get it to iTunes, because Mr. iTunes is sitting there not he's bothered. not taking personal calls. No, he's, he's <laughs> uh, what have you got? So it, it's all to do with bundling of copyrights, if you like. So the distributor is the person who has a big bundle and says, "What do you want? I've got it all. I've got folk tunes. I've got blues. I've got jazz. Yeah, yeah. I've got it. Oh, yeah, here you go. I'll do your deal." Um, if you happen to be one of those artists, the trouble is that your share of it is minuscule. Uh, but you still need a label because labels have money. Ideally, some labels have some money. Uh, and there, there are fewer. Many, there are many fewer labels that have some money, but there are some that do quite well, like uh, PS played against played against Sam or Domino uh, or people like that who do quite well. Um, but there aren't as many as there were 30 years ago, obviously, because the game has changed. But there are any amount of labels who, if you guys made a tone poem tomorrow, who would, on a not terribly good but let's say profit share deal, be quite happy to, should we say, represent your recording. The challenge is, what can they actually do with it? Because 12 or 10 years ago, when the, when the internet became an issue, I, in my corporate role at the time, was saying to various people who wouldn't listen, well, this is all very well in terms of getting the music, but how do you experience it? What are we going to do about broadcasting? And the end result is nothing. Broadcasting has not changed. The, the, there is now narrowcasting, uh, in an infinite myriad of forms of which this is one. But actual broadcasting, if you're just talking about Britain, is Radio 1 and Radio 2. If you want to have a hit, if you're, say, The Feeling, who were nowhere till yeah. they were on the Radio 2 playlist, and now they're something, and I happen to like them, as does Radio 2, and they were the most played artist of two years ago, thanks to broadcasting, they have a career. If you are me, and nobody cares, and why should they, and you have nothing, just having a record and your own label, and your website, and all the other things you have to have in terms of a video and a YouTube channel and 
uh, you know, MySpace, it's pretty much meaningless because there isn't a broadcaster pulling it together to, so the convention, to be a sieve. Just to, mm. to finish the, this particular point, the, 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 the conventional view that you read in the kind of the, the business pages, the Sunday papers or whatever nowadays, is the record business has to adapt from selling physical product and it has to replace all those sales that used to sell things at £14.99 in W.S. Smith HMV and sell them as downloads. There is no way that that money is being replaced in the digital world, is there? No, that's right. And partly, not even nearly? No, no, no nowhere near. Uh, well, actually, to be fair to the industry as an industry, because of various speculation about EMI in the business pages, you can read some of this. Yes, if you can bundle it. That's the irony. There are digital openings. So if you're very positive, if you bought EMI tomorrow for $4 billion, which is what Guy Hans paid for it, you had, you're an you're oil-rich person, let's say, and you want to have a record company, you could probably give Guy Hans four billion to take it off his hands. And then you look at how you're going to make money from it. You can reasonably bundle up those copyrights and do various deals with phone people and right. you know. But, but the individual artists will not make much out of they it. They will not make much out of it. As again, as you've uh, featured in today in the excellent um, <laughs> new Which copy magazine of the Word magazine, <laughs> the Word <laughs> podcast. Is it out every month or? Uh, I, I, I gather it is. So record companies can, if they're big enough, they can bundle this stuff and they can get a lot of cash for it. But when you break it down to an individual component parts, no, and that uh, that makes it very hard for indies and. Unless, of course, you are a niche indie, because if you're small enough uh, and you don't need to have access to broadcasting and all you do is, for the sake of argument, Christian music, let's say, or perhaps you're just a blues label. And the other thing, of course, you can do, if if you possibly can, is (laughs) cross-collateralization. Oh! Which means, supposing you had the Von Trapp family and the 16 of them and they all made solo albums and they don't mind the fact that they all do... Material that's in the public domain, so you'd have to pay them for you don't have to pay any, any copyright royalties. Then they don't mind that all their copyrights go in a big pot. So you've got twenty albums that you can flog on your label, all cross collateralized quite legally with the approval of the artists. Then you can bundle it, it up. Is this why we're getting more and more records? Is it why you're getting yes, more? Yes, because we seem to be getting from small labels seem to be producing more and more records. It's because they're cheaper to make. Right, okay. But, but, but they, they need to uh, build up a big catalogue yes, to get yes, any they, money back. That's yes, really interesting. It, that's right. We're having this very discussion in the office this afternoon. We, yeah, we really do. I mean, we, when we started the magazine, I think we used to go, uh, we worked out about 300 records a, a month. We now get about 450. I know, it's unbelievable. different it? albums sent to me every month, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a lot of that's because, um, yeah, they're very small organisations that are, that are, the records cost nothing to make. They've been made in somebody's bedroom. You can uh, do they've the, got a distribution the technology. Got a distribution in fact, what actually happens now is people make records and if they get any, uh, as they call it, traction, any indication of uh, press interest, any indication of um, internet activity or MySpace, whatever, or 200 people go and see them in a club somewhere, that's the moment when someone would yes. start to market them. Well, because there's right. no point in marketing them if you haven't had a... Well, Very interesting. I, I, had, uh, I interviewed Mary Gaucher this week, uh, the Nashville singer-songwriter, and she made a very interesting point to me. It really made me think. She said... The world doesn't need any more quite good. That's right, but it's and, got plenty. And, 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 it's, and we have never had so much quite good as we've got yeah, nowadays. Yeah, that's right. You know, that, that we get millions of records sent in. Yep. Play them in the office, and they're quite good. And they're quite good. And they're, they're okay. You know, they're, they're, it's all right. Yeah, they're very well performed. Uh, well, the other... You know, they're, they're kind of ingratiating and so forth. But they're not exceptional. No, they're not exceptional. And you only realise this when... 18 months later, they come along with another record, and it's also Well, the other, the other marketing <laughs> yeah, is less good. Yes. Although you very good. I was reading a piece of the Times the other day, and we were talking about Jane Sibbery. Do you remember Jane Sibbery? Sibbery. Sibbery. Canadian songstress. Yeah, she's yeah. been uh, very good. now. Uh, very, very good. And she was talking about uh, just the realities of the fact that she used to, when she was once on a major label, her peak yeah, yeah. sale, I think, was... I flogged some of her albums oh, really? myself. She used to sell 100,000 records. But for Warner Bros., that's right. She now sells 3,000. Yeah, But that is because, what I was going to say, is there is another marketing tenet, which is... Got one, don't need two. Yeah, yeah. No, sure. it's totally. quite hard. When I, I did flog Tracy Chapman's first album and her second album, and her second album is extremely good record. Crossroads went to number one, knocked my ex-band Tears to Fears off the number number one slot. But if you asked people what Tracy Chapman record they could remember, it would be the first one with Fast yeah. Car in it. They wouldn't necessarily mention made. Crossroads, even though it was a big selling album. Because get one. Don't really need to if you've made a really There's good defining statement. There's only one exception to that. Shardy, I think. Because I think Shardy's only made four albums since the like twenty nine years. Just done a million. 
Yeah, and it's still selling. Yeah. Is it a million? And, and I yeah. think it's because it's such a long period of time between them that people sort of, oh, sure, they're quite well, close. Or, After eight years, they go, she's still around. That's, or, that's I will life. say, to her immense credit, Enya. Got yeah. one, want more. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Right. Okay. Yeah, you know, as long as it sounds exactly right. the same. Involved with which that might make a list on the website, worldmagazine.co.uk. The difference between the, you know, the, the got one, want more, and the got one, yes. that's quite enough. Yeah. Uh, but actually, it, sorry, I was going to make one point which may seem to be totally self-interested, uh, so you can edit this out, uh, Fraser. <laughs> it's why have I personally got a record? Because you don't exist as an artist on iTunes if you haven't got an album. So you as broadcasters and publishers are saying, why the bloody hell are people making albums and not just EPs? It's because, sadly, a bit like managers' hyperbole, unless you've got an album and a website and a YouTube channel and a MySpace and all that stuff, you're not even at the starting no, point. Because no, sure. people say, got an album? Well, I've got an EP. We, you guys, organised um, extremely good outing a month ago, the word's first promotion, promotional show, and I and, uh, hope you will do many more. And the middle act was a chap called Duncan Maitland. And he was great. He was really yeah, enjoyable. Comes off stage, and he's got some three-trackers to dish out. He gives me a copy of his three-tracker, free, which is very kind. Oh, did I buy it? No, I bought the opening. I bought the Wootars, their EP for a fiver, and I got a free Duncan Maitland thing. But it's only three tracks, one of which is exceptional, the other two are pretty good. Problem is, if you've got an exceptional track, which is called, sadly, Terry the Toad, and not oh, what it should oh. be called, which is Everybody's Trying to Be Cool, well, that's <laughs> the hook. Anyway, um, Everyone's Playing It's Cool is what it should be called. Um, the, you, want, you do want the album experience. If you've got something that's, that's really good, you all want more. But if you've only got three tracks, which are, you know, two out of three or one out of three, you go, well, great, I'll come back to that. Because we still, in my opinion, do want an album experience, mm. or at least an album side You'd like 20 minutes worth before you put the kettle on and have a cup of tea. You don't necessarily want your changer with just singles. Ex having said that, the reason why you can't make any money in the world is because the world emphatically wants just the hit. And Bob Lefsett's American uh, blogger makes a big fuss about how terrible the record industry is because they don't understand that people only want the hit. They, oh, they should just give people what they want. They only want the hit. Well, as per we said previously, nobody knows what the hit is. You go in to make the record, you, you, you make the, the album, and very often the hit comes out of the studio experience. might not have been written when you did the deal. Mm. Well, as so we've, as we've touched on in the past in the issue. magazine, very often the hits come along after the album's finished. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, the, it's the ones that they, that they do right at the very end. So, well, uh, loads of food for thought there. Food for thought. And you can read Andy's feature in the current issue of The Word. I, I, I ought to, before we finish, uh, add people who've signed up to The Word Twitter feed recently. Uh, Tom MacArthur, Leo Barker, Frank DeFalco, Sonia Reitman, uh, Laura Walkins, and Eddie Grundy. The very last nice. one I'm very excited about. Yes, Eddie indeed. It's the real Eddie Grundy out of the arches. And we're going to finish with Mark Allen telling us about his, uh, his little back problem. Well, back's all right. I put it out the other day. And uh, I had to go and see an osteopath. I don't know if anyone listening to put the back out. It was a very weird... Well, what, the weird experience was this. I go to see this osteopath. My wife forces me to go and see this person because I can't stand... I literally can't stand some bent double groaning, you know. And I go in there and I, I check into this... And, and I find myself in a room with a girl in her probably early 30s, extraordinarily good-looking... <laughs> former international tennis player, Parisian. And uh, this is a very weird experience. I was telling 70s Johnson, our, our production editor, this, uh, this morning, actually, so it's a very weird experience. I don't think that's said 70s. I don't think it's ever happened to me in my life before, genuinely. I, I meet a complete stranger, and within three minutes, I, I have been stripped, I'm completely naked, apart from what? my underpants, and thrown onto a uh, bed, and she's wrestling me all over the place. By said, this tennis welcome, playing... Welcome to life of 70s. <laughs> 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 it happens to me all the time, and he gives me a cheery, slightly patronising wink. <laughs> and that's about it, really. And, and I, I, got so, a I got a text from Mark describing this. He said I'd been, you know, been manhandled half-naked by a very good-looking former French t tennis player. And sexist me, I was thinking, Henri Leconte? He's, <laughs> <complete. you know, laughs> yeah, he's really excited about it. Yeah. Well, really I was obviously, I think the kind of general, the vicar's son was coming out of me because I was obviously just expressing my self-consciousness about this. Uh, and it really was, there she is, you know, virtually on top of me. You know, I'm virtually naked on this thing. You know, you know, twisting my legs around, trying to pop back two vertebrae, pop back. And you'd, you'd, oh, yeah, 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 it was pretty grim, I think. Oh, yeah. And uh, at one point, I, I realised how I must be reacting. She, she kept saying, she kept saying, all this lap 
Laughter is very good for the relaxation. Is that a French accent? It's not really. <laughs> it's more Swedish. What is that? What accent is that? Home of she Welsh? <laughs> so anyway, yeah, so uh, that was a new experience for me. So getting old, it's not all bad. No, no, no. So to, 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 to sing us out this week, uh, Fraser, give us, give us your ring tone again. Oh, I'd sing it, but it's above my pay grade, I'm sorry. <laughs> This podcast was brought to you by The Word. Details at wordmagazine.co.uk. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.